This morning, our Old Testament lesson comes from Deuteronomy, starting in chapter 31. And the bulletin says, starting in verse 30, I'm actually going to start us back a little bit earlier than that. Um, This is, we're going to start in verse 24. And if you remember uh, anything from the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, or Deuteronomy, You'll probably recall that, you know, after the people got out of slavery in Egypt and Moses is leading them through the desert and through the wilderness then for 40 years, um, there was a bit of grumbling and complaining and all of that. Anyway, at the end of that time, this is Moses' take on that. We'll start in verse 24 of chapter... um, I think I got that... Hang on a second. <laughs> I think I may have written down the wrong chapters entirely. Yeah, we are. Hmm. Oh, I'm on the wrong page. Yep, I was on the wrong page. Okay, we're going to start in verse 24 uh, of chapter uh, 31. I was on 30. After Moses finished writing in a book the words of this law from beginning to end, he gave this command to the Levites who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. Take this book of the law and place it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God. For there... There it will remain as a witness against you. For I know how rebellious and stiff-necked you are. If you have been rebellious against the Lord while I am still alive and with you, how much more will you rebel after I die? Assemble before me all the elders of your tribes and all your officials so that I can speak these words in their hearing and, again, and call the heavens and the earth to testify against them. For I know that after my death you are sure to become utterly corrupt and to turn from the way I have commanded you. In days to come, disaster will fall on you, because you will do evil in the sight of the Lord and arouse his anger by what your hands have made. And Moses recited the words of this song from beginning to end in the hearing of the whole assembly of Israel. Listen, you heavens, and I will speak. Hear, you earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching fall like rain, and my words descend like dew, like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants. Ooh, doesn't that sound good? I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect, and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. They are corrupt and not his children. To their shame, they are a warped and crooked generation. Is this the way you repay the Lord, you foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father, your creator, who made you and formed you? Remember the days of old. Consider the generations long past. Ask your father, and he will tell you, your elders, and they will explain to you. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided all mankind, he set up boundaries for the peoples, according to the number of the sons of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted inheritance. In a desert land he found him, in a barren and howling waste. He shielded him and cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them aloft. 
The Lord alone led them. No foreign god was with him. And then turning to Matthew 5, if I can find it. Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. This uh, famous saying of Jesus from the early part of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, as we turn to our sermon text in Philippians 2, um, I have been telling y'all for some time, I've been very excited about uh, getting to preach through Philippians. Uh, I love this book of Philippians, and so I'm pretty excited just in general to get to to preach through Philippians, but today I'm particularly excited because today is the day that I just get to tell everybody to stop whining and do what I say. That's, it's kind of in here anyway, if I, if I twist it around. <laughs> okay, I don't really get to do that. But there is a verse in here, in the passage we're going to look at today, that kind of sounds like that. You could make it, um, <laughs> you could make people understand that if, if you so wanted to. And that is verse 14. We're just going to get, I'm just going to read you that verse by itself, just so you have some idea of what's coming. Chapter 2 in Philippians, verse 14 says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. There you go. So, any, any of you who have teenagers or no teenagers? <laughs> any of you who have coworkers or spouses? This could be your new life verse, right? Do everything without grumbling or arguing. So, anytime anybody starts grumbling, anytime anybody starts arguing, it's like, hey, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. The Bible says, knock it off. Quit your whining, do what I say, right? Isn't that what it says? Oh, no, it's not what it says. It's just what we kind of hope it says (laughs) when somebody's grumbling or arguing against us. However, if you're ever um, in the midst of grumbling or arguing for some reason, you sure don't want that verse thrown back on you, I tell you. Um, Not that any of us would ever have that. Uh, But this actually is talking about something else. We're going to get into it and find out what it is and how it actually is an important part of the Christian life and uh, what that has to do with the whole letter of Philippians, what that has to do with us. So here we go. This is Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 12 and going on through the end. And um, Paul starts this section by saying, therefore. So we always have to stop when you get to a therefore, right? Because when you get to a therefore, you have to ask what it's there for. Because this is following on something else. And so what Paul has been saying, as a little recap, in chapter 1, he was saying, here's my situation. I'm in prison. I'm in Rome. I'm writing back to the church in Philippi. And I'm saying, uh, yes, from all outward appearances, things look bad for my situation. But I see how Jesus has the victory in all these situations that I'm facing. And so I'm able to rejoice even in the midst of my suffering. 
And uh, because and the reason why, as he goes through each one, is because he has Jesus in view and he has other people in view. And because he has Jesus in view and other people in view, then he is able to rejoice whatever the situation is for him. That is kind of chapter one in a nutshell. The end of that, he's like, okay, now you do that too. But then he goes into chapter two and he says where this comes from. This is what we looked at last week. That uh, where this comes from is not just because Paul says, you know, this kind of seems like a good idea, a good way to live. Instead, he goes right back to Jesus. Jesus, Jesus is at the center of his view. This is why uh, he's able to do these things. Because as he looks to Jesus, this is what he sees Jesus doing. He says, Jesus did not put himself first, but he had his father in view, and he had us in view. And because of that, he as it, uh, says in verse 6, he who, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. This is what we see throughout the incarnation of God becoming flesh in the person of Jesus. But it's not just uh, the incarnation where this happens. It's all through his life as he continually has you know, a position of authority. And yet, instead of exercising a right to lord it over others, he humbles himself continually and is serving others. And so Paul says, because what I see in Jesus is someone who is, has God first and others in view uh, next, because of this, and we see that all the way to the cross, is because of this, that's how I'm going to live. If I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, I'm going to follow him in what he was doing. And so what that means is I'm, I'm going to have Jesus first in my view, and then I'm going to have others in view. And so when I can see uh, that way, I'm able to rejoice in everything. And so then he goes on now to how that works out with the Philippians, how that works out with this church he's writing to. And he says, therefore, because this is how I'm living, and I'm living this way because this is how Jesus lived, he says, therefore, guess what's coming next? It's how I want you to live, right? And so he says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according, or in order to fulfill his good purpose. That right there is huge. We don't have time to unpack all of it, but just the idea that, uh, that it is God who's working in them, that it's, you're not on your own to, to do the things that you're being called to do. It's, uh, it's kind of Peter on the water again. You remember when Jesus is walking on the water and uh, Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And he says, come. And this follows right after the uh, feeding of the 5,000. He says, you give them something to eat. And they say, we don't have anything. (laughs) And then he gives them bread that they give to the people. And so they're able to do exactly what he said to do because he gave them what they needed to do it. And when Peter's walking on the water, it's like, because he calls him out on the water, Peter knows, if you're going to call me to do it, you're going to give me what I need to be able to do it. And so when Paul is writing to the Philippians, he's like, you've been called to a certain way of life, and that means he's going to give you what you need to be able to do that. And so you will have the Spirit of God in you to do the things uh, that he's calling you to do. And so it is God who works in you to will and to act. And so the Christian life is not something to be taken lightly. It's not something to be taken flippantly. It's something to be taken very seriously But never should we despair 
and say, you know, I can't do whatever it is I'm being called to do. If we know that it is God who is working in us to fulfill his good purpose, to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. And, uh, and then we get into this sort of parallel with what we read in Deuteronomy of what Moses is saying to the uh, people who were uh, grumbling and arguing back then. And Paul says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. There's that verse. So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. And here we have uh, this, this verse that I said, do everything without grumbling or arguing. And in context, I hope you see that this can't possibly mean what it sounds like apart from the rest of the verses around it. This can't possibly mean, okay, everybody quit your whine and do what I say. <laughs> you know, It can't mean that. But what does it mean when it says do everything without grumbling or arguing? Well, it's talking about do everything that God is calling you to do to live the way that he's calling you to live, to be the people that he's calling you to be. And to do that, not grumbling. Okay, imagine this. Imagine you decided you were going to you know, join the local football team because you're you know, at the appropriate age and stage of life to do that. <laughs> and you join the local football team, and as you are a part of the team, you start going through the, um, the workouts. You go through the exercises. You go through the training. You start running plays. You're going in the game. And every step along the way, you're like, I can't believe I have to do this. This is terrible. I don't know what I'm going to do. And you're just grumbling and arguing. At some point, at some point, you have to ask the question, maybe I don't want to be on this team. <laughs> you know, what? and if that's the way you're going to go about it, what does that do to the morale of the whole rest of the team? <laughs> and so what Paul is saying to the church in Philippi is not quit your whine and do what I say, but look, if you have joined God's team <laughs> to do the things that he is calling you to do, to be the people that he's called you to be, to be the light in this dark world, then do it joyfully. Be glad that this is what he's called you to. Be glad that he is the coach and you're not the coach. <laughs> And so do this without grumbling about it along the way. Do this without arguing about it along the way. This is what we saw in the generation with Moses as they're coming out of Egypt and they're like, oh, this is terrible. We don't have anything to eat. It was better when we were in Egypt and, you know, as slaves. No, it wasn't. (laughs) But here they are grumbling and complaining and says, okay, here's some food. And they're like, oh, all we have to eat is the food you gave us. Yeah. (laughs) Can you be thankful for a bit instead of always grumbling and complaining about everything? Now, I think one of the reasons why this is uh, important for us to, to hear is because this is a dark world. And that's where he says uh, that we would be, if we, if, if we do this, that we will shine among the people of this generation. And by generation, I mean whole age. We'll shine among them like stars in the sky. And if you think about what stars look like in the night sky, they're points of light (laughs) shining in a sea of darkness, right? 
And here's the thing, is that grumbling and arguing about everything we're going through, that, that is normal. And it's so normal, we can find ourselves doing it without even realizing we're doing it. It's so normal, we can start doing it because that's just what comes out naturally without ever even crossing our mind that there might be a different way. I actually overheard some children talking uh, recently, and I'm, you don't need to know who they are. You don't know them anyway. But overheard some children talking, and one of them, it was like all they could say was grumbling and complaining about something. And I was like, oh, how sad. I don't know if that is something that has come naturally to them or if that is something that they've picked up from their parents or from just the environment in general. But the, this small child had nothing to say except, oh, this is terrible, this is terrible, this is terrible, this is terrible, this is terrible. Oh, man. <laughs> but that's the world we live in. That is the darkness of the world around us, that it would be like this. And Paul says, you, as Christians, live differently. Understand that God is calling you to a different way of life and to go about that without grumbling, without arguing. But with thanksgiving, with praise, and rejoicing. Um, let's get that. So this is what Paul is uh, encouraging for them, and then he says, "And if this is the case, then I, <laughs> then I won't ha- then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain." Here he has worked with this church. And he's like, I would hate to think that all the things that I have done for you, all the things that I have you know, poured myself out for your sake, that all that would just be rejected and you would just go about living the, rest, you know, the way the rest of the world lives, as though I'd done nothing. It's like, I don't want to do that. But he's also confident that's not the case. And so because he's confident that's not the case, he says he's able to... Um, be glad and rejoice with them, even though he's being poured out, maybe even to death. He's still able to rejoice and be glad. And he says, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. And then he goes into this, uh, this section where he's now said, this is how things have been with me. I, the reason it's like this with me is because of what I see in Jesus. This is what I want for you. And now let me give you two other examples of people who have Jesus first and others first. And this is Timothy and Epaphroditus. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. So again, Paul being in prison in Rome, under trial, not sure if he's going to be released or executed. And yet he's already said, look, either way is a win for me, but uh, I think it's actually better for you that I would come back to see you. And so I'm confident but that's what Jesus is going to do, that he's going to send me back to you. Um, but I'm going to wait till I find out what happens. I still don't know. And then once I find out, I'm going to send Timothy so you'll know too. Um, and Timothy, 
as he holds him up uh, as being just like what he's encouraging for the Philippians. When he said in chapter 2, you know, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. And now he says, this is what Timothy's doing. You know this. You know Timothy. You know how he's been like this. And this is how he is. He will show genuine concern for your welfare, even though everybody else looks out for their own interests. Not him. You know that. And then he says, but I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then, Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Now, I don't think there at the end that he's trying to give a little dig like you guys couldn't do this, but he did. (laughs) But what he is saying is that Epaphroditus is the one that they sent because they said, we can't be there in person, but we want to send help somehow. And so Epaphroditus is the one who goes, who's takes their gifts to him, who brings news about the Philippian church uh, to them and is now the one who's carrying this letter back to the Philippian church. And so he says, you know, here again is someone who has that same sort of thing, who has Jesus first and others first. And you can see that in the way that Epaphroditus has been willing to go to be able to risk his life for, uh, for the work of the gospel in service to Jesus and his church and for other people. And you also see that in that now that he's there, it says that he's distressed. And why is he distressed? Is he distressed because he's a, you know, he might die from his illness? No. Is he distressed because he's ill? No. He's distressed because the Philippians heard he was ill. <laughs> That's what distresses him, that they might be worried about him. And that bothers him. <laughs> he's like, I need to get back to let him know I'm okay. Because his concern isn't himself, his concern is others. And so you see this sort of running through the way that Paul is viewing everything now. That everything that Paul is saying is right in line with what Jesus says is the great commandment, right? They ask Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And he says, well, there's kind of two that are really closely tied together. (laughs) Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second which is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. This is what we see Paul living out, even in prison. This is what we see him doing because of his relationship with Jesus and who he sees Jesus to be and how he actually lived. And this is now what he's encouraging for uh, the Philippians, to do the same thing and to do this in such a different way than the rest of the world lives. It's a whole new life. And a new life that's exactly the same as the old life What's the point? This is a new life. And um, when we look at one more thing by way of conclusion, when we look at this image that he holds out, it says, if you really live like this, you will be like, you'll shine like stars in the sky as you hold out the word of life. You hold firmly the word of life. And he says, 
uh, you know, gives us this image of these bright lights in a dark sky. These bright lights that, as stars, not only you know, give some illumination in, in the darkness of night, but also provide a way of navigation. So if you don't know where you are, which way you're going, and you're trying to travel after the sun goes down, that gets really difficult before GPS is invented. But stars, <laughs> the stars can show you where you need to go. You find that north star head that way if you're going north. He says, you will shine like stars in the sky, providing light, also providing direction. And here's what I want us to envision. If you can zoom out on our entire planet, and have you seen those images that they take uh, from space where you see the whole planet at night, but there are lights that are on? And so you can tell like where the cities are because there's more lights there. <laughs> You've seen those before? If not, you can imagine it in your head, where you see these lights all over the dark world. That's what I picture along with what he's saying here. Of you'll shine like stars in the sky. You'll also shine from the other perspective like that, but on the earth. You'll be like the lights that are on the earth in the middle of a sea of darkness. And so what I want you to know is he is not saying all is rosy in the world. He's not saying that. And we know that there is a lot of darkness but as uh, Mr. Rogers has often said, <laughs> you know, when he, or is often quoted saying, when, uh, when bad things happen, where do you look? Remember what he said? Oh, come on, people. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, he says, look for the helpers, right? Look for the helpers because they're always there. And so when bad things happen, there's always people, there are always going to be people who are there doing something good. And what I would say is something similar, but this. When you see the darkness in the world, look for the Christians. Look for those who are bringing the light into that dark situation. So when there's sex trafficking in our world, look for the Christians who are seeking to rescue people out of that and shut it down. When you see people who are being mistreated, whatever the situation, look for, not, don't look at the bullies, look at the Christians who are around who are trying to stand up for them and, and not be mistreated anymore. When you see the darkness of the world, don't be overwhelmed by the darkness. But understand that the light has broken into the world and it's breaking into this world. It broke into the world through Jesus, but now in and through the lives of Christians who live the way that he is calling them to live differently than the rest of the world. And to do so without grumbling about it and arguing about it along the way like the people in Moses' generation, but are doing so joyfully who are giving of themselves and who are giving of their own lives because they've got Jesus in view first. They've got others in view first. And they are seeking to live a different way, a way that brings the light of God into all the dark places of this world. May we be those who are those because of Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.